0: Welcome to Series 5 of the Bible and Me podcast from Precept Ministries UK, the series that uses incredible life stories to give God the glory. Before we dive into this week's episode, if you haven't done so already, be sure to click that subscribe button so that you don't miss out on any of the amazing testimonies in the future. And now, without further ado, here's the podcast. Well welcome to this uh, Precept Ministries UK Bible and Me podcast and I am thrilled to uh, welcome Fred Drummond to to us today. Fred, lovely to have you with us. Uh, Fred is the Director of Prayer and for Scotland for the Evangelical Alliance. Uh, You also serve on the UK leadership team. Uh, You are an ordained minister in the Church of Scotland um, and you are passionate about unity and about extending the kingdom of god you're an author uh, a speaker you're married to caroline yeah. you have two sons and um i understand you love film you love sport a man after my own heart <laughs> and uh, movies uh classic movies so welcome to this podcast thank um, you it's, it's it's great to chat wonderful so fred um how did you come to to faith in the Lord? I mean, did you grow up in a Christian home, or how, how was that journey for you? No, I didn't grow uh, up in a Christian home at all.
1: I uh, My dad died when I was um, 14 and a half, and uh, I uh, left school at 16 and got a job in Resyth Dockyard. I come from Grimferman, and uh, so I was an apprentice in Resyth Dockyard, and um, during back shifts, people used to try and find a place to hide out so they didn't have to work uh, the whole shift. And um, so, so I went to one of these uh, little, what people would call house, went to a little house, and uh, there somebody had left the book Run, Baby, Run by Nikki Cruz. And uh, I picked it up and it had a denim shirt with a switchblade, if any, uh, any of your listeners have uh, seen that. And I thought, oh, this would be an interesting book. And I, I'm kind of hiding away, I'll start to read it. And uh, God really uh, began to speak through it. And I was gripped by the story. And I I was gripped by the idea of a God who loves us and calls us back to himself. And um, at the end of the book, uh, I sort of uh, put it down and um, could have had no peace for for days. These sort of questions about um, if Christ really died, then I haven't given any thought to what that might mean. What if it was significant? What if he had died for me? What if there was an offer here? And I totally ignored it. And uh, these questions uh, carried on in my mind uh, for a while. And then uh, one night I got down on my knees by my bed and said, Jesus, if you're real um, and, and I'm beginning to think you are, I, I, I want you my life. I want to give my life over to you. And I knew instantly uh, that my life had changed and um, then uh, I uh, I found an old Bible that was in the house. It must have been a present or something and started reading it. And uh, I had no, no idea where to start. Uh, and uh, I started actually with uh, Luke's Gospel. And Luke's Gospel has been central to my life ever since really, or Luke's writing. Uh, but I started reading through Luke's Gospel and I ended up at the local church, which uh, fortunately was a, a Bible teaching church of Scotland in, in Dunfermline. And uh, started to get interest in the word and get support a, a little church. Then I don't think there was anybody younger than me in the whole, whole congregation. Um, but I, I began to, to learn uh, and grow. And then within about six months, uh, God called me to uh, give up the work I was doing in the dockyard. I went as a voluntary social worker uh, just to uh, befriend children who had hard backgrounds and no longer communicated. There was nothing physically wrong, but they, they uh, didn't, just didn't speak. And I mm-hmm. used to uh, take uh, a couple of these uh, guys for snooker and swimming and, and these kind of things. And uh, then uh, God called me to what was BTI, which was a Bible training institute in Glasgow. And um, and
0: um, my my faith has grown from there. Wonderful. So, so um, you were in the interesting. You were in the dockyard. It was just a book. Reading a book. It was testimony. Clearly, I mean, I, I remember reading that book myself many years ago. Wonderful, amazing, powerful story, isn't it? And a guy in very t- tough circumstances. It wasn't he, Nikki Cruz. Uh, That's right. Grew up, in, yeah. you know, as you say, uh, in, in tough circumstances. But then God invaded his life, and obviously. The importance of testimony. I know um, storytelling and, and is something that you love as well. The hearing, hearing people's testimonies and, and of what God is doing in their life. So amazing. Mm-hmm. Just um, God reaching out to you through through a book.
1: Yeah, and then finding, as I say, uh, very alive by the grace of God, um, picking up a Bible and beginning to be captivated by the Jesus story. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And begin to see how the Jesus story actually impacts all our stories. Mm. Uh, and it's the transformational power of the Jesus story in scripture uh, that redirects and begins to disciple us and, m- and make us think and make us grow. And And I was at the most basic stage of, of all of that. Um, but but still, uh, there, when um, when people who have never heard or seen scripture before, um, unchurched people, uh, suddenly are confronted by scripture um, there is a power in the word Amen. And, and it's a captivating story And if the Spirit then mm-hmm. begins to take that captivating story And applying it to mm-hmm. people I think I think it's the most powerful thing in the world Amen. Sc- scripture and the power of the Spirit
0: Amen to that And so how old were you when you went to the Bible Training Institute?
1: Uh, my goodness, that's a long time ago there <laughs> I think I was around about 20, 1920, oh, something wow. like that oh, wow. um, Yeah. So how long were you there for? I was there three years I okay. uh, did various things um, in summertime so I uh, went on mission trips to, uh, to the bits of the UK. I uh, spent uh, with my wife we uh, spent a summer at Ethus uh, at in London when they were in their church planting uh, stages mm. and uh, I was very fortunate to have that mix of something like Ethus but actually my, my home church was a church called Larbert Old uh, Church of Scotland which uh, was a well-known Bible teaching. Uh, church the, the minister was a guy called David Serrell and uh, David was a strong expository uh, preacher so if we were uh, doing a gospel in the morning we'd be doing an Old Testament book uh, in the evening uh, we'd be doing a New Testament letter midweek and at the prayer meeting mm-hmm. and we, we would take as long as it took so David would maybe take you know two weeks on a chapter or or whatever cool. and and um, well, in some ways, my uh, journey of faith has moved on, uh, mo- I would say, um, more in, uh, in a sense that I, I see in Scotland being such a non-church place now that, that we have to be more reliant on the supernatural alongside the word, and never on top of the word, but alongside the word. Mm. Um, but what being at Larbertold told and then at Christ in Parish Church, which is another one of these big expository teaching churches, was the discipleship. It comes through studying the Word.
0: Um,
1: and uh, that um, almost old uh, Presbyterian evangelical discipline of, you know, you read every day, uh, your scriptures talk consist- uh, consistently, you don't just pick themes and suddenly do it. You, you pick a book and you work your way through the book and um, uh, gives you a, a rootedness, I think, um, that whatever else changes round about you you know, you know the power and authority of, of Scripture, and, uh, and I would never have changed that.
0: Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, you, um, there was a time in your, in your Christian life that you became the first minister of two churches in Perth. Um, tell us about that. Well, it's interesting. I was
1: the assistant minister at Christ in Parish Church, which uh, w- was one of the, the biggest evangelical uh, expository teaching churches. And uh, and the minister there uh, went up to Perth to speak at a conference. And uh, uh, being the assistant, I was leading a prayer meeting midweek at our home church. And uh, Martin phoned said, uh, when you're taking the prayer meeting, you really have to pray for Perth um, because I'm here speaking at this conference. And I have a, have a real sense that... Um, there's just not a whole lot happening in, in Perth, and uh, and they need the ministry of, of the word. They need exposure to the tree, uh, teaching here. And so well, I'll bring that. Uh, you know, I'll bring that word to the prayer meeting. We all pray for Perth, uh, little knowing that uh, three months later there'll be a, a a vacancy of a congregation in Perth, and it was uh, a union. So what the Church of Scotland did in these days, and I think still does, is if there are two vacancies of two churches that are quite uh, similar uh, geographically. They'll sometimes make them into one church and then pick one building. You can imagine how how much fun that is. Um, And then bring in a minister to this first new union. And this was a first new union creating this almost super parish. Uh, But it was was a a fairly strange union because it was a city centre, reasonably middle-class church um, with another church that was a 1940s, 50s mission church, uh, which was now in, roughly in an area of social deprivation. Uh, and um, as only the church could do, it decided that would be a useful kind of connection. And uh, no history of evangelical ministry in either. Um, people who didn't really want to be in a union and... Uh, and, and they asked if they could send a vacancy committee to come and hear me at Christon and um, Martin Allen who was a minister said well you'll know if God's in this because we'll, we'll, we'll get them to come to an evening service here and uh, an evening service you'd spend about 40 minutes on the, on the text and you know and that could be five or six verses and it could be on the Greek text and a, a, very, a, a bit of depth and he said these, these people have no history of evangelical ministry so if they come and then say can we interview you so you'll know that god must be in this because naturally they won't warm to it um and uh, cutting that whole long story short um they asked me to be their minister <laughs> and uh, i walked up and and uh, uh, my wife myself we we sort of prayer walked around the area a little
0: bit and just sensed that god was calling us uh, to go there wow so w- did you have to um decide which of the churches was to close um because you said there were two churches coming yeah, into one building, yeah. and I mean, how I mean, that was quite a leadership challenge, really, to be able to do that. Is that is that what was part well, of your role, to do that?
1: No, uh, eventually, uh, with my input, uh, uh, a committee at a higher level decided, so when I first went, I had to preach at both in the mornings, mm. um, uh, and, and it was quite ridiculous, really, <laughs> they were only about, you know, less than a quarter of a mile apart, and I was you know be at one and then have 15 minutes to get to the other one and drive probably breaking the speed limit every week <laughs> driving down the road to get into the second one uh grab a, a breath and then and then start all over again um and then eventually after about probably about 18 months two years uh, they moved into one building
0: right yeah right and how did you
1: see god move during that time we were incredibly lucky. I think it it was it is part of the story of my life. Some people left uh, fairly early on. Um, we got one or two um, letters explaining their dissatisfaction with the with the minister, mm-hmm. um, and uh, one in particular from a from an elder who said he thought there was way too much of an emphasis on sin in our church because um, was because uh, I was preaching through the gospel um, and we saw people come to faith and mm. uh, we saw people come to faith every year that, that we were there
0: yeah. um, which uh, which was fantastic yeah. yeah absolutely absolutely I mean le- leadership church leadership is tough isn't it uh, I mean I'm not a church leader so I don't know but i I have spoken to a number of church leaders and, and it's tough and of course you you have people that are leaving your congregation but you know in a sense voting with their feet. Um, expressing dissatisfaction. I mean, that's tough, isn't it? Well, it is. Uh, I think uh, everywhere I go across
1: the UK, if, if you see people um, seeing church grow, whatever, whatever form or denomination, uh, usually if you investigate a little further, uh, there'll be a backstory of struggle, um, the attempts to convince people of the need of change, the, the um, animosity of some people within it and uh, the, the, the struggles and the scars of it mm. I don't think anybody would change it but it takes a determination to stay faithful to the vision um, because there is a bit in all of us that likes to be light yes. uh, and and we like to hold the, we don't want to go out of the way to have people leave okay. um, but ultimately if, if you have a vision of what what God is saying uh, which to me was, we've got to let these people know the scriptures. These people do not know the word. Um, so even though they're not used to expository preaching and, and I amended the way in which I preached to contextualize that, that congregation. So we'd, we'd take a chapter a week or we might do six weeks in Mark and then come back to it or, or whatever. Uh, we try and use much more um, contemporary illustrations. Um, recognizing that a lot of the people didn't know any biblical background things, mm-hmm. so it it altered the way in which um which I preached and, and taught, um, but as I say, everybody I know who's who's seeing growth uh, and some people who are not seeing growth, if we're honest, uh, carry the scars of coming up against institutional church and a religious spirit um, that uh, likes things the way they are and doesn't want
0: any change and any challenge, thank you very much. It's interesting, you mentioned, you know, religion and the religious spirits, yeah. and, and I don't know about you, but you know, often when people hear that I'm a Christian, they say, oh, you're religious, you know, you're one of those religious types. And um, I've learned, I guess, to, to answer that. Um, you know, when you look at what Jesus's attitude was to the religious people of the day, I mean, he, he reserved some of his hardest comments for those religious leaders, you know, you brood of vipers, of whitewashed tombs, you're hypocrites. Yes. And therefore, if this was Jesus' attitude towards the religious, then actually, um, I think, um, you know, I, I'm almost offended when if people say, you know, you're religious. Yes. Because yes. it's actually... Um, it's almost an insult really to be called religious, but I guess for people that don't know about church and being Christian, that's what they would say. You know, you're just religious. And it's easy to put people into what we're most comfortable when we can
1: put boundaries around people, <laughs> don't we? Because um, it saves us the time of actually building relationships, which then can can lead to vulnerability and honesty. Yes. Um, so we'd rather keep people at, at arm's length and simply label them. Mm. Now, I I don't uh, I have no problem with people outside of church doing that because church quite often we have allowed ourselves to be caricatured by the way which we have responded to the world. Um, Mm. My my problem has always been um, sometimes the attitude of believers rather than non-believers. Most of my uh, difficult times um, have come with with people who would say they love Jesus um, or they're committed to the church or they're attenders or they're church elders Mm. or deacons courts or these kind of the that those kind of groupings, mm-hmm. probably because I expect more. You know, you expect more mm-hmm. from brothers and sisters than the attitudes we sometimes get. Yeah. Um, whereas I don't expect anything from from people who don't know Jesus. Interesting. Yeah, uh, we we have yeah. to we have to reach them. We have to um, love them in such a way that we provoke relationship and questions from them. Uh, but I don't expect. Trust or any of these things, and yet some of the the greatest love and trust that I found are people who don't know Jesus. But but I'm not
0: looking for that. I'm looking for that within the Christian family, between brothers and sisters. I think it's a very very um, very helpful thing you just said that because we can, we can expect that from others. Um, but as you say, if they don't know, they don't know the Lord. Then then we shouldn't put those expectations upon them. Yeah. No. Uh, in any way. So yeah. Um. You were involved in a new church uh, development and building a congregation at uh, Perth Riverside. Um, Tell us about that. Yes, well, I I was growing increasingly. Um, We were in a city centre church. We were growing.
1: Uh, People were coming to faith. Um, But there was a mass of of people who were now third and fourth generation, totally unchurched people within a mile of our building. And it became increasingly um, clear to me, well, two things did. Uh, one, that Jesus was as likely to be out amongst these people as he was in the building. And and secondly, the culture gap between us, even though in our day, I suppose, people would say we were quite a cool church, you know, we, we had guitars and all those early 90s kind of thing. Um, but what we were doing was not going to resonate with people who've never been in a building. And I... Um, I, I made two or three friends of, of young people who who were within the parish area, I won't go into the story it's, it's in one of the, the books actually but this person we invested quite a lot of time in uh, committed suicide, a young, uh, young single mum mm-hmm. and um, uh, she said before before she uh, died a few months before she died church really isn't for people like me is it and and um, and that really, uh, the Spirit convicted me of that. And uh, I spent probably three months uh, after her funeral thinking, you know, I'm not sure I want to do church anymore. Because yeah, if church is not for people like that, I know for sure Jesus is for people like that. So if church is not for people like that, why would you want to be involved in church? And um, God led me back uh, to Luke's Gospel again. And I'm by no means the first person to see this, but I did see this at at this time, was that almost everybody in Luke's gospel who regards themselves as an insider is challenged to become an outsider. And everybody who's an outsider is invited to become an insider. It's an upside down kingdom in Luke. So uh, women, uh, children, lepers, all these people are all invited in. You know, they're all, all told to draw near, come to the feast, uh, go out. If, if these people won't come, go out and invite other people that nobody expects. This is, this is a grace, abundance of grace. And at the same time, religious people, religious leaders, all these people are all challenged to go out and go out. Uh, and it occurred to me that, that sometimes we're doing church Uh, missing the point of that parable uh, altogether, missing that kind of narrative through Luke and so we're making church, um, the way in which we do church, only accessible to people who are already in it so we're not demonstrating an upside down kingdom um, when we're gathered and um, so the Church of Scotland um, had been looking with our church union (coughs) of simply giving us a new building and um, We decided, and this took a little while, and a lot of meetings and a lot of votes to say, no, actually, that's not what I want, that's not what I think God is saying. I think God is saying we need to become the first growing church in Scotland to totally close down and give everybody membership certificates, start again, at least for the first couple of years, without a building, Um, meet in schools, walk around the parish, uh, develop, find who the gatekeepers are. Hang out with people. Wander around the pubs and the and the clubs. Get to get a sense of what what church might be like. Let's develop a gift based leadership rather than a lifetime leadership. Let us experiment and, and see if we can develop mm. a church that that is actually focused on on non church people. So a missional church and. Um, and As I say, I uh, needed permission from new legislation of the General Assembly, 2000, the the uh, Presbytery at the Presbyterian Church, our eldership, our board, and our congregation. So you can imagine the the, um, the opposition to something like that. Uh, but eventually, with God's grace, uh, we got through it, and we developed Perth-Riverside, which um, Which was the first church within the Murton, North Muton particularly North Murton area of Perth, which was a, a mass of... A massive housing, 50s, 60s kind of housing, no, no faith community in it. And so we moved into it. And there was about uh, 25, 30 of us who, who moved in, and we, um, we had a great time. We worshipped in the school, we kept all, all the speakers, everything in our house. We had an hour to get into school, set up, uh, do the service, uh, half an hour to sit back down, get out again. And um, we, we just became a community of faith, really, uh, and started to grow and uh, saw God do some amazing things. Uh, We saw some people from other churches and things uh, start to say this is the sort of church we're kind of looking for Uh, we love the vision of it and we started eventually to see folks, young people in particular um, encounter Jesus, come and be part uh, of their fellowship and then excuse me, about three years, four years after we started, the church got provided a new kind of building but we had a big input into it so it had a a cafe, it had a safe space, it had an open kind of sanctuary place, it had an office that other people could use, um, so um, So it continued to grow and then just as we were looking again to the next five years, uh, God called me out of it uh, to become the director of Evangelical Alliance.
0: Oh wow, I want to talk about that in, in a second but um, just before I do that, uh, you've written two books. Um Ice by the Rainbow and All That Jazz. Um, tell us a little bit about those books. How they came about and, and what was your purpose in writing those? Um, Ice by the Rainbow was uh, in the midst of all this uh,
1: reflecting upon the church and the mission of the church. Um, I said, I, I needed to study more uh, intently these things. And uh, so I did a Doctor of Ministry uh, degree, uh, postgraduate degree, at uh, Columbia Theological Seminary in the States. Um, there was two or three mission thinkers that were lecturers there, and um, so I went back and forth for three and a bit years. And as part of that, um, I was challenged to write a sort of short dissertation, sort of 25, 30,000 words, um, and, and I, I chose to write about what does it mean to be childlike, that the way in which we're running church presupposes we're all adults, and we're all very serious, uh, and we like control, uh, and, and, you know, we like to manage what's happening, all these kind of things, and, and yet Jesus said, unless we, we develop childlike characteristics, we don't need to be childish, but but childlike, then we can't under even understand what the kingdom of heaven is about. Um, so, I th- so I thought, so what, what are childlike characteristics? So I uh, spent some time with child psychologists, heads of education, primary school teachers, and... Give me some examples, so and and they give me examples. You know, naivety, um, relational openness, um, these these kind of things, and then I related them back to Bible stories, um, Bible passages, and stuff like that. And then at, at the end of each one, I'd leave a few questions for people to reflect upon. So I, um, I, I submitted that, and uh, they really liked it, and I just forgot all about it. I kind of moved on. And uh, one of the professors, I think, uh, sent it to uh, um, a publishing company and uh, they phoned me out of the blue. I thought it was a wind-up from one of my mates saying, we've just read Ice by the Rainbow uh, and we, we just, we love it. And um, if you were to add a little bit, make it, you know, fifty, 000, sixty thousand 60,000 words rather than 30,000, we'd love to publish this. Um, and um, so I did that. And um, the uh, other part, main part of, of the drive, the drive of my life is to see the church be what God intended the church to be, which is a, a creative, missional, um, loving, relational group of people who are always looking about um, leaving the 99 and going for the one. It's the abundant love of reaching the one that's at the heart mm-hmm. uh, of, of everything. So, how can church become so um, inward looking and, and fearful? At changing society, rather than being outward looking and risky, um, and I began to think, well, actually, sometimes it's because of the way in in which we we run this actual structure of the church, and I began to compare the end of Acts 2 um, with the way in which most churches do church, and um, I've done more of that in the what kind of church stuff that you that uh, that I've done for Evangelical Alliance recently, but. My my point was there was a flow to Acts 2 and to the rest of Acts. You know, you you, you think you know the theology um, and then God sends you. You know, you're in the midst of a revival. God sends you out in the desert for one person, you know, and and that one person is going to be a key person later on in how the gospel develops. But, you know, we'd be thinking, well, we don't want to lose one of our best evangelists to reach one person, but God does. Um, and so there's a flow to it. Um, they all know the kingdom tune, but they're trying to work out, so how do we play this? Like, how do Paul and Barnabas, how do we play this? And Mark goes with them, and then Mark doesn't go with them, and then, and then other things happen, and Timothy comes in, and, and there's a flow, or, or Peter is pretty clear what he wants to do until he goes up on a roof. <laughs> and then the, the whole theology has to change because God's in it. And, and it occurred to me, it's a little bit like um, running an orchestra, where one person at the front is a conductor uh, and they, they have boundaries around the different parts. So, so let's say children's work, brass section. Um, youth work, woodwind, and so on. And the person at the front kind of knows the tune and he leads it and he gives it the tempo and stuff. And if he's a good conductor, then it all goes pretty well. Is it? It's well-ordered, it sounds well, you know how it, how it all fits. Um, but actually that New Testament picture... And as I studied, a lot of the growing church in the world is much more relax, relaxed, uh, much more flexible, much more relational, much more creative, a little bit riskier. And you're not 100% sure exactly what they're doing. Um, but what they do have is they all know the kingdom tune. They all trust one another. So that if somebody happens to take it on a five minute solo in one direction, it's okay. Um, we'll just keep playing because we know it'll come back in again. And, mm-hmm. and there's a freedom to try and hear the spirit and learn from one another that comes from a deepening trust. And so it's a bit like a jazz band. Uh, and so I said, the future of the church of we're up to the spirit, um, and if we're learning from the church in Africa, and we're learning from the, the church where it's growing in China and Asia, those places, um, we're going to have to relearn which will mean that we're going to have to become more like a jazz band than an orchestra.
0: So that's where the second book came from. wonderful. What a lovely picture. What a lovely picture. Thank you. Um, Tell us about your work with the Evangelical Alliance. I'm the strangest
1: person, I think, ever to to be director of an organisation like Evangelical Alliance. I mean, it started 170 years ago. It was based about leaders uh, looking at John 17 uh, and being challenged and saying, you know, we need a unity... But it's not a uniformity, um, nor is it a lowest common denominator ecumenicalism. It is so that we will be one, so that the world will believe the Father sent the Son. So it's, it's a mission unity. Um, the world's only going to believe the Father sent the Son. It's only going to believe the Gospel when we're one. So if we want to see the world transformed, we better get on with our brothers and sisters. And secondly, it's a Christ-centered unity because it's so the world will see the Father sent the Son. So it's a Jesus, um, we want the world to see Jesus. Mm -hmm. So if we want the world to see Jesus, we have to get on with one another. Mm -hmm. So it's an evangelical unity. Mm -hmm. It's about gospel, it's about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And and then focus around um, unity around prayer, Mm -hmm. unity around voice, so speaking into parliament, speaking for voiceless people, doing advocacy on issues, helping the church work through what it looks like to face cultural issues and secularism, all these kind of things. Uh, and, it, and it's a missional unity. So uh, how do we take cities back? Well, in one way, we take them back one life at a time. But in another way, we take them back together. There's very few places where a city has been transformed by one church. So we need to we need to build coalitions, we need to cheer one another on, we need to mm. share resources, we need to support one another. Mm. And so so my passion is about primarily about mission and about church planting and about seeing churches be church. But I recognize that the only way to see Scotland transformed is if we find ways of doing that together. Mm. And I also um, find that the other only way we're going to do this, so that makes two only, so that can't be right. <laughs> we need prayer, you know. Um, the, the level of our effectiveness uh, in our witness is completely dependent upon the depth of our encounter with Jesus. I, I believe they are, they are completely related, attached. So we can have the best strategy in the world with the best gifted people in the world and go away out to change the world and we won't do it unless these gifted people and strategy is absolutely soaked in prayer, in the presence of God. Without without the presence of God and prayer, we have no authority and no insight from God. So we have have to link prayer and mission together. They're part of the same thing to me. In prayer, um, we encounter the presence of God who has compassion upon the world, and weeps over cities and weeps over individuals. And as we wait upon that God and he draws near, something of that compassion, alongside something of that power falls upon us, which then enables us, wherever God sends us into schools or something, we then carry something of the compassion of Jesus, which makes us uh, makes us agents of transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we just do prayer and leave it in a room, um, it's not Jesus' prayer. But uh, but if we do mission and it's not rooted in our spirituality, then it's not related to Jesus either. Um, because for for Jesus to do all his ministry stuff at the beginning of Mark, um, after the kind of revival in Peter's front garden, um, uh, he went away to a quiet place to wait upon his father. And then when the disciples called him back, say, well, revival's kicked off here. You know, you got to come back. He says no, no, we have to go to other villages. I must be about my father's business. Mm. Um, and it was that sense of, well, where did that come from? Well, there was revival yesterday. It came because he, he was in a quiet place, um, mm. waiting to hear God, uh, getting the strategy of heaven um, spiritually emailed or tattooed onto his heart and saying, I'm not going to be distracted. Even because we did that yesterday and the spirit was all over it, now we've got to go out and reach other people. And, uh, and that's why prayer and mission and unity all come
0: together. And uh, and that's what my heart is. And that's why I head up EA in Scotland. That, as you're talking, I can see your passion for it. And, that, and that's wonderful. But I think there may be some people here listening that would love to do what you're talking about there. How What advice would you give people that want to be in that place that you're talking about to, to hear God speak, to get something of God's heart, to be... Uh, transformed by the presence of God in their lives. How would you? What would you say to those people that want that, um, but are not there at the moment? I think we um, we have to per- persevere. Um,
1: we have to find ways that allow the space for God to speak to us. We, we live such busy lives. We have to be intentional about our prayer life, and that intentionality has to connect with who we are and and the lives we we live. Um, we have to use uh, quality resources, I think. Um, people who who know stuff about prayer and can teach us about spirituality. We have to find people that help us. Mm. Um, we have to develop resources that enable us to worship and to grow. Mm. Um, for, my, I, for myself, what I, what I try and do, um, most weeks I'll find uh, every day I, I'll take a, a little time to read scripture, uh, reflect upon it, uh, pray and pray for just the people and the meetings I've got today mm-hmm. um, three times a week uh, I'll set aside two hours and uh, I have a, a notebook I have a Bible I have a uh, worship uh, music and uh, I, I just uh, kneel down uh, and start to worship and start to pray and start to read scripture I usually read the Psalms to start with and then read something in the New Testament and I, I write down what I think God is saying. Mm-hmm. Um and and I use that to reflect for the rest the rest of the day, and sometimes uh, God will speak to me uh, and just encourage me uh, through a song. Sometimes it'll be completely through a passage or, or, or a bit of scripture that I've ne- that I've probably read a hundred times but I've never seen. Um, Sometimes it's an interceding for other things. You know, God will give me the, um, the names of people, the faces of people that I've maybe met in the last week and, and at different days I'll ask God for different things. God, will you show me people who maybe just need encouraged today? Mm-hmm. Um, will, will you give me a list of people, God, who, who I think are on the point of breakthrough in something mm-hmm. that, I, that I might pray for them? So I, then I create different little prayer lists, mm-hmm of people. But I have used all sorts of things uh, from in my early days, uh, the, um, the uh, Prayer Diary of Robert Murray McChain, Reading and Prayer Diary, which I still use on and off, uh, which is uh, four chapters of scripture a day, um, through to um, I've used Bernard of Clairvaux uh, and the kind of mystical uh, things sometimes just to help me meditate and find ways uh, to reflect um, upon things I've used uh, the music of uh, Charles Wesley and I've used the music of Jeremy Riddle and, uh, and Will Reagan, I've used uh, Bethel stuff, I use all sorts of stuff mm-hmm. uh, but I just want to be um, I, I want to have an intimate loving relationship with a father who wants to speak, I don't have to twist God's arm ...to show up and speak and, and, and hang out with me. Mm-hmm. He wants to do that. Mm-hmm. But I need to make the space that I can hear him. Yeah. And um, I think it's like any relationship, yeah. isn't it? Um, we, we show how much uh, value we give people by the amount of time we give them. And if we're coming on a Sunday saying, I really love you, Jesus... ...and you say, well, how much time have you given Jesus all week? You say, well, i have had a really busy week. You say, well, how much do you really love Jesus... If if you've given them no time and no space all week, and then you come here, so that that's a little bit of my kind of and prayer I think, journey. I
0: think that's wonderful because um I think, it's that it's having that intentionality if there is such that word that that word uh, of being intentional about it and really wanting to hear from God and as you say, getting to a place um to be able to do that, um so. Uh, on your own quiet or, or with worship music so you, you're in that place where you can hear god i think that's wonderful well, and then and then there is the power you know
1: when you get
0: corporately
1: then people who whose faith is already rising the relationship with jesus is already rising and your church creates a corporate space for prayer so when when two or three are gathered or 20 or 30 are gathered and there's an expectation that we're here to meet with Jesus as a church or as a congregation. We're we're setting aside. So I, I'm very fortunate at the moment. I I go to a, to a Nazarene church, which has a tradition of prayer. So we have a prayer meeting on a, on a Wednesday night that we'll get 50, 60, 70 people at, and we we'll spend an hour and a half, two hours prayer and worship. Um, seven to eight o'clock in the morning, twice a week, uh, church open for people to come in for as long as they can, leave when they have to um and we we pray for the church and then um on the friday morning for half of that time people go out and choose and they pray around the streets so they mm-hmm. they pray for for the businesses round about um they, they pray for young people who'll be hanging around in the evenings they pray for the atmosphere to change for protection mm-hmm. upon things and most of that is born out of individuals who are already themselves seeking God mm. and then coming into that wonderful mystery of the community of faith. Mm. And there is nothing like, I think, the power
0: of a church that's on its knees. Mm. Um, that is wonderful. Yeah. I'm, I'm reminded of Spurgeon and the boiler room, you know, down yes. beneath um, his church there. And there'd be, what, five, 600 people before the service praying. Um, so, uh, and we're very fortunate, our own church, um, to take that very seriously and okay. um, recognise the, the importance of prayer. But it's not always easy. It's
1: not always no, easy. no, because I, I think the enemy wants to distract us in any way possible because yeah.
0: he knows how important it is. Yeah, amen. I'd like to move on um, just to talk about um, the place of the Bible in, in your life, your work. Um, you know, what place does the Bible have in your life? Why is that? Um,
1: yeah. Um, well... <laughs> I, I see the Christian life almost all different threads weaving together uh, into getting a, uh, just a creative picture of who God is and the wonder and beauty and majesty of him. The primary uh, thread of that, I guess, or two primary threads would be the Holy Spirit uh, and scripture. How, how do we find out? what Jesus is like, what God's missionary purposes are for the world, who I am in him, uh, only by allowing scripture to soak in us. So uh, in one sense, I'm opposed to a legalism that says, you know, you've got to read three verses every day, whether you want to or not. But, but I think as you engage with Jesus, um, you then you then are drawn and captivated by the Jesus story as it's revealed in scripture Mm. and the more I soak myself in scripture and meditate upon it and allow it to to filter into into my character Mm. um, the more of the wonder of Jesus I see Uh, I'm uh, a little bit suspicious of people who don't take scripture seriously but talk about loving Jesus and encountering Jesus because I wonder well how do you get it who is this Jesus that you're talking about? Because the Jesus I love is a Jesus of Scripture. Mm. Um, and, and I'm learning new things about him all the time because the, the Spirit, you know, reveals things I've not seen before. Mm. Um, but uh, but Scripture is, is the rock or, or the lens, I guess, as, as we're hearing this week um, at review uh, is the lens through which you see Jesus. Mm. Everything in Scripture mm. gives you a clearer picture of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. So it, it's... Um, you know, the first thing said, uh, I was doing this in a seminar today, and I was, I was asking people to think, what's the first thing said about the church in, in the New Testament? Um, and we've got some great answers. And I said, well, the first thing about the church is they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, Acts 2.42. Um, right after Pentecost, first gathering of the church, Luke's description of it, there are seven marks in it, but the first one is this, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. Um, so the very first church, the very first thing said about it is they're captivated by the scriptural story of Jesus. It's what shapes them, um, and uh, and so if, if it was good enough for the very first church that was filled with
0: the Spirit from Pentecost, <laughs>
1: then I then I will go with that. <laughs> no.
0: Fantastic. Do you um, would you have a favourite uh, Bible book or character?
1: Um, well, I I have a few. They change from time <laughs> to time. Uh, one of the of the characters, I guess. That, um that helped shape my thinking in the early days of Riverside was Stephen um because the sermon of Stephen is so radical uh, it's you know it's probably the most radical sermon in some ways um, in the New Testament mm-hmm. and he knew that by saying it um he was in the face of the opposition and and yet he, he didn't he would not dilute what God had given him even when he's talking about you know I see and he's talking about a vision right there in front of them uh, amongst all these people who really wanted to kill him yeah. and so the, the courage of faith mm-hmm. to follow the vision and be faithful to Jesus mm-hmm. no matter the opposition um I, I think as Stephen is, is probably doesn't get the credit sometimes he deserves so um so I love that, as I said earlier, um, the, the narrative of Luke, so Luke and Acts together, uh, has shaped a lot of my thinking around church, mm-hmm. and particularly that section at the end of chapter 2, uh, right, right through the whole the whole kind of missional journey of, of the early church shapes me, and um, probably Old Testament, uh, Psalm 63. Um, God you are my God endlessly. I seek you, my soul thirsts for you mm-hmm. in a dry weary land where there is no water um, thus have I beheld you in the sanctuary and seen your power and your glory uh, that, that kind of uh, psalm that David wrote after the Absalom rebellion and he's, mm-hmm. he's kind of thrown out and mm-hmm. and he's in a place where all the things that marked his spiritual success are taken from him, temple kingship, authority and yet he comes to the conclusion, actually what I'm really seeking is I'm seeking God as in a dry and weary place. I'm not seeking the temple. I'm not seeking for my kingship back. I'm, not, I'm seeking for God. It's God first, and everything flows from that. So, so some of the, the Davidic Psalms uh, are, are things I meditate upon
0: quite a lot. Wonderful. Fred, it's been a real pleasure to speak to you and to hear of your story. Um, I really do pray God's blessing on the work that you're doing uh, here in Scotland, um, we haven't had the opportunity maybe another time to talk about you know the church in Scotland and uh, whether that's a, a dry and weary land or not and, and the, and, but also the wonderful things that God is doing uh, um, particularly through this conference that we've been at um, this week here in Refuel so thank you, God bless you and um, hope to hear more of uh, what you're doing in days and months ahead It's been a great pleasure, thank you You've been listening to the Bible and Me podcast from Precept Ministries UK. By leaving a rating or review, you can help us to reach a wider audience with the good news of God's grace and plans for His people. But otherwise, until next time, we hope you have a blessed week from all of us here at PM UK.